What's going on, everybody? It's that time again. The All Sooners Podcast, episode 178, on this Wednesday, March 15, 2023. Josh Calloway in Oklahoma City, Ryan Chapman in Moore, John Hoover in Tulsa. Gentlemen, how are we doing? So far, a perfect bracket. Guys, <laughs> have not missed a game yet. I'm, I'm rolling toward the big million-dollar payday. No, I'm not playing a bracket this year. Didn't feel... Didn't fill one out for the third year in a row, and let me just tell you, it is liberating so I can watch these basketball games. I uh, I still need to figure out my bracket. Uh, like most things, I'm probably going to wait until Thursday morning and get that thing fired <laughs> in, whatever the deadline is for our listener pool. Uh, the most important thing, though, is this March, it's not basketball. Ted Lasso's back, baby. We've got one episode up and running. Hammered that last night as soon as I got home from softball. We're in a good place. Football around the corner. No complaints. How much you pay for Apple TV? Uh, with or without the MLS uh, season pass, you got the bundle, huh? Yeah, yeah. I, I, all the MLS games. If you need, if you need any LAFC news, hit me up. I've, I've got you. The uh, Josh Calloway tradition on the bracket is to hit it tonight at like midnight. Once the playing games are over, I have to wait till the playing games are over. I can't make picks if I don't know who's in the games. Yeah. It's insanity. So what yeah, you- I wait until uh, all the plans are over. Almost everybody's already done their bracket, 99% of America. And then I, I hit it tonight at like, yeah, like 1130, whenever the playing games are over. I got to wow. let the dust settle. No, I mean, it, you, how are you going to analyze the matchup of Texas A&M Corpus Christi, the Islanders going in, unless you know that the Islanders have booked their ticket? It, it just makes sense. Exactly. Exactly. I think it uh, might be Corpus Christi's year against, uh, against Old Bama. Oh, you beat them. So who knows? Got a packed show for you guys uh, today on the Ulcers Podcast. Spring football starts next week, which is kind of crazy. Um, it's going to be hot and heavy right away. Uh, we don't have anything official yet, but the expectation is Venables, assistants, players, open practices, all that's going to come quickly whenever spring ball starts next week. So we're going to uh, preview that a little bit. Of course, lots of NFL news as free agency started. Baker Mayfield's got a new team. That just happened right as we were starting to record. Talk about that a little bit later. Of course, all the other sports as well. On the back end. So a packed show here for you in mid-March. But let's go ahead and start. Spring football, like I said, starts next week. Um, we were told March 22nd. We'll see if that holds for the actual first day of, of practice. Either way, it is next week. So I think the best way to do this spring preview is just to open the floor and just say, what are you watching for? I mean, we've done lots of different angles of it. Position battles, transfer watches, whatever. But what's the number one storyline of spring that jumps out to you guys that you're excited to see play out over the next you know month or so. It, it's kind of a potpourri, isn't it? You can just pick one yeah. or two or three or four or five things to talk about. It's literally, um, there's literally position battles um, kind of everywhere. Uh, one that I'm interested in is, is offensive tackle. You lose both your offensive tackles. You bring in one from Stanford, Tyler Guyton, probably going to start. Is Tyler Guyton going to be the right side tackle? Uh, is Walter Rouse from Stanford going to be the left side tackle? It makes sense if that's the case, and those guys would seem to have the the lead at, at those positions or at least be positioned to um, kind of own that spot, uh, outwork the other guys, and, and it's yours come fall. That would seem to be the most um, obvious solution at that spot. I want to see what they're going to do with uh, new tight ends. They've got two young guys coming back. Uh, that don't really have a ton of experience. Okay, so who else you got? Well, you're bringing one back from South Carolina who wasn't even here, didn't play in the offense last year. Austin Stogner, like to see what he's available to do. 
so what's your plan for the tight end? Is he going to get 15 receptions? Is he going to get 45 receptions some, some, or somewhere in between? Uh, and then how do you replace Marvin Mims? I'll just settle with the offensive side of the ball, Ryan. You can have the defense. Uh, how do you replace Marvin Mims, a guy who was productive and a big play um, tenant for your offense for three years So and went through three different quarterbacks? We, we don't talk about that enough. This kid went through a quarterback change, went through an offensive coordinator change, went through a head coach change, and was still had his best year last year. How do you replace that kind of consistency, that kind of big play productivity? So there's there's a lot of questions just about the offense. I didn't even touch the running backs. So. Yeah, piggybacking off the offensive line real quick before we flip over to the defense, it's like not just replacing tackles, but Walter Rouse, the labrum, not going to go through spring, can't do contact in the spring, right? Uh, Jacob Sexton, not expected to participate in – spring football as well off of his injury he sustained in the cheese it bowl so an opportunity while you think you know that it'll be rouse and guyton do we see like a caden green some of those really really young guys roll through just through spring football what, what's that going to look like so i think the depth conversation behind not just who your new stars are gonna be is really interesting flip over to the other side of the ball stay on the line of scrimmage no more Jalen Redmond, no more Jeffrey Johnson. They've moved along. So you're looking at Isaiah Coe, Jordan Kelly. What, what do those guys mean? What do they look like as they're stepping up? You're bringing in Jacob Lacey from Notre Dame, Devon Sears from Texas State. Like, Can he contribute, be in the rotation? What does Oklahoma have there working on the interior of the defensive line? Then, then you move out. Ethan Downs and Reggie Grimes didn't have the years that they wanted to have last year as they're having to put some weight on, adjust to a new system, two-man or three-man front, four-man front, sorry. And, and so what do they look like? Do they look like different players on top of the fact that you've brought in Bothroyd from Wake Forest, Trace Ford from Oklahoma State? How healthy is Trace Ford going to be? Like we could probably fill hours just talking about both lines of scrimmage, and that's before you get into the fact that, okay, Desan McCullough, Cheetah, who's going to start at linebacker alongside Stutzman. And, oh, by the way, it's just going to be position battle bonanza on the back end of the defense outside of Billy Bowman and, and Woody Washington in my book. Yeah, and I'm not sure Billy Bowman is a lock at safety. He would be my first choice, but he's also might be the most versatile guy to spin down and play nickel again, where he played his freshman year. So that's something to look at because you've got new guys. You you know, you talk about a Reggie Pearson playing back at safety, a guy that's got a ton of experience in major college, in the Big 12, he could spin back there and play safety. Okay, so now what do you do with your safety position, Billy Bowman? Key Lawrence, what is he? Is he still your best, uh, most athletic, most explosive, most kind of dynamic safety? Or do you put him over at corner now, uh, especially with DJ Graham moving to wide receiver? There's so many moving pieces and parts in this. It's going to be fun to watch. I'll go ahead and jump on the low-hanging fruit, too, on the offensive side, Jackson Arnold. Just because, I mean, we've – he, Dylan Gabriel is going to start in week one. We all agree that. But we've had the absolute perfect storm for there to be a conversation because Dylan Gabriel didn't have that great of a year. You know, he was a bit underwhelming. He was hurt. He missed some time. They went six and seven with him. Fan base isn't crazy about him. Jackson Arnold, meanwhile, had, did everything he could in high school, short of winning a state title in Texas. He was Gatorade Player of the Year. He won Elite 11, all that stuff. And if you then tack onto that, guys like us, and uh, the other OU podcasts that are out there that'll be at practice. And we come back on our shows, our, our respective shows, and we're saying, Jackson Arnold looks better, and he has a better spring game. That's going to just continue that conversation all through the summer. you know, And it's going to just be out there, this monster ball hanging out there. Whereas if we come back and we say, you know, eh, he doesn't look like he's maybe quite ready, 
maybe then that can kind of put that to bed a little bit. So that's a low hanging fruit thing, but that, that jumps out to me as well. And then, yeah, I mean, who you kind of referenced it without referencing it, the running backs too. I mean, you have your two guys who's actually running back one there. Is it going to be completely even between Javante Barnes and Gavin Sawchuk to somebody else working in the fold? It seems pretty clearly you have your one, two, but there are other options just in the freshman alone. There are other really talented options. Caleb Hicks, Dalen Smothers, guys like that. So it's going to be interesting. There'll be a lot of things to watch out for here coming up in the uh, next month or so. So let's, let's, Expand it out to, or I guess break it down more the other way, to individual players. We've done guys we want to watch, transfers and even the freshmen, things like that. But more specifically, who has the most to gain, I guess, in the spring? Who needs a good spring to try and make sure they carve out a role for themselves? Lots of options here. Well, who are some guys that you guys think, this guy needs to show something this next month, or he may risk falling you know, out of favor and not see the field very much once you know August and September roll around? That's that's a tough call to make uh, in March ahead of spring practice, just because um, there are, there are going to be guys who are not on the depth chart when when the you know August hits, uh, and even when September gets rolling, they're not on the too deep. And all of a sudden, uh, come October, come November, you see them up there getting more playing time. So that's going to change. That's going to evolve. Uh, I'll piggyback off what you said about Jackson Arnold. Could he come in and, and shake things up? A little bit. If uh, Dylan shows up one day and he's he's not on his game, or he's got a a sprained uh, you know hangnail or something like that, right? He takes a couple of snaps off. All of a sudden, the kid gets in there, and starts doing some stuff. Is there even the remotest possibility that he could work his way into meaningful playing time early? It's worth asking. Um, I don't know, Josh. It's a it's a good question. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of possibilities. Um, Ryan, do you think? It's almost silly to say. It's it's silly to say you've got a three year starter at quarterback. But do you think Jackson Arnold could do some damage this spring? Uh, damage maybe because remember a, a feature of last spring that we kind of saw a little bit in the the practices we got to see is that Dylan Gabriel knew the offense, but they were letting other guys take snaps because they don't want to just kill Dylan Gabriel's arm through camp, things like that, right? And so, what does that mean? more opportunities for Jackson Arnold. And I think that the coaching staff is going to be very intentional. If, if everything pans out the way that everyone wants it to this year, Dylan Gabriel has a great year, pursues his professional aspirations, and Jackson Arnold is your starter heading into the SEC. Whether Gabriel has, a, you know, he busts his chin strap and has to go take two snaps on the side while the equipment crew puts a new chin strap on, or, or whether it's intentional, like Oklahoma's coaching staff, should be trying to get Jackson Arnold up to speed as quickly as possible. And as talented as he is for us that are not watching every single snap of every practice, that's going to look like quarterback controversy. If, if Jackson Arnold's everything that he's been billed coming in. And so as far as the outside hype machine and things like that, I mean, yeah, I could absolutely see a scenario where he gets it going. Everyone's like, Oh my gosh, Jackson Arnold's taking so many snaps. What does that mean? Well, I think it could just mean, Dylan Gabriel knows the system. Jack Snarl, they're trying to get him online as fast as possible. Save Dylan Gabriel's arm. It could just be normal operating procedure as far as trying to roll through spring football that creates a big hype train coming in. Yeah, you know, I mean, I would toss, too, as far as players that I'm looking for that need to have a big spring. Ryan kind of referenced him uh, briefly there a little bit ago is Reggie Grimes. You know, he didn't have the year we were hoping for. 
Oklahoma made some notable additions on the edge, of course. Uh, we outlined some of them already. Bothroyd and Trace Ford, and uh, you have P.J. Adebore. He doesn't look like he's going to wait for anybody. Reggie Grimes probably needs to show some things you know, th- this spring if he's going to be as big of a, a uh, factor in the defense as we thought he was going to be last year and play as many snaps as he did last year. Ethan Downs feels a little more safe. I feel like he's more highly thought of you know, reading tea leaves and just kind of general vibes. I feel like he's more highly thought of from that staff and just in general where he stands on the team. I think he's a little more secure. Reggie Grimes, I, I feel like he could probably do himself some some favors this spring by showcasing himself, hitting the you know the weight room hard this winter and things like that. We'll see how that shakes out. Do you guys, you know, agree with that kind of a notion a little bit? Yeah, for sure. Um I think that's that's a real strong possibility. Same same type of thing, maybe maybe um, a little bit lesser because they're so young. But wide receiver is a is a unique position because if you're not playing early, you're not producing early. They recruit above you, they recruit over you, and they go get guys in there that can play early. So wide receiver is a position to watch. It's totally unfair to expect Nick Anderson and Jaden Gibson to have a breakout spring and be the guys and emerge as the the top wide receiver. And yet that's kind of the nature of that position, or it has been the nature of that position. If you don't succeed early, you hit the transfer portal. If you don't succeed early, you get recruited over. So I'd like to see both of those guys. Uh, it, this is their second spring now. Okay, so they've been here. Um, so they've, they, they've been here for more than a year. They fully understand the, the expectations they've been in the offense. They've learned, they've grown, um, they've gotten a chance to be healthy, all that kind of stuff. So especially in the case of Nick Anderson, who wasn't healthy last, last fall, this is a huge opportunity for him and for Jaden Gibson to show what they can do as, as young, talented four-star wide receiver prospects. Well, we saw last year, there are basically four wide receiver spots on the field. Once Oklahoma found their rotation, got it going and, that meant that a guy like a transfer in LV Bunkley Shelton never really made a huge impact. A transfer in JJ Hester was hurt, right? Throw him into that group of guys that didn't have a chance to make an impact. This year, you've got Andre Anthony coming in from Michigan. So he needs to buck that trend of transfer wide receivers from, from last year. So whether that became a everything's so new, Jeff Levy only trusted a small group of guys. And because he didn't have his, you know, preferred wide receiver coach, whatever that means, or so does that mean that like Emma Jones coming in means that he he's able to develop a larger wide receiver rotation? The flip side of that is because OU went so fast offensively, they did not sub at wide receiver, and that meant that if you weren't good enough to be on the field for the very first set of plays, then you never were on the field that entire drive. I don't know if what side of that needs to be looked at, but. Um, the Sooners need a little bit more wide receiver depth because you've got Jalil Farouk, Drake Stoops, and just a lot of question marks. And I'm not sure that Farouk or Stoops is that apex predator number one wide receiver that can carry a whole room like like OU's been accustomed to with your CeeDee Lambs, your Marvin Mims, D.D. Westbrook, Hollywood, all those guys going back, even you know Shepard, Broy, all that stuff. I- I'm not sure Farouk's one of those guys. What about uh, the running back position? Um, Josh, you talked about it quite a bit, obviously, and 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 I think I hit on it earlier with the two yeah. guys returning. Um, you know, when you talk about Sawchuck and you talk about Barnes and you talk about the two freshmen coming in, that's who we're looking at. That's who we're focused on. What about Emeka Megwa? 
the transfer from last year who yeah. transferred in through the portal after the deadline, couldn't play, had to redshirt. All reports are that he is a weight room animal, that he's built like a brick. I mean, you see him out there with his teammates and you're like, that dude's impressive. So this is a perfect opportunity for him, if he's healthy, all things being equal, for, for players like him who haven't had a chance to showcase and haven't had a chance to, oh, if he were only healthy, and oh, we don't know what he can do. If he gets out there and does some stuff this spring, and uh, let's say in the spring game, he gets out there and carries it 16 times and goes for 100 yards. All of a sudden, the running back room starts to get a little crowded, doesn't it, when you've got that many players in there? And uh, the the transfer from UCF, Bentavious Thompson, um, mm-hmm. Is he, is he, he didn't play at all last year. Did he take a red shirt? Is he available this year? I don't, I don't know the answer to that. I presume. Yeah, yeah. I presume. This may be bad podcasting, but Marcus major, I'm not going to even spend brain time, like brain power on him until he shows he can stay on the field for 12 games by yeah. injury, things like, things like that. Megwa, the scout coming in on him was that he might not have a knee. Like he, he might not have knees left after, uh, his yeah. first stop because because just the wear and tear. Mm. I'm not going to spend any brain power even considering him factoring in until we like he's got to get to like OU Texas as a contributor in the rotation before I think that becomes a real thing because I think we've just seen that too many times with running backs that carry injuries and, and have struggled to stay healthy or struggle to stay on the field. Like if that means you're in and out. What are you not taking those? those locked in mental reps for pass pro. And that's what DeMarco Murray requires for you to be on the field as a running back playing for him. And and so for those guys, yet yeah, they could be great additions to the running back room. Uh, I'm not putting any money on any of those guys being consistent contributors to 12 games until you just see it. That's fair. Totally fair. Especially sure. because they have so many options with uh, Hicks and Smothers coming in. It, it's not like it's a they have to rely on those guys. You've already got the fun one-two punch with Barnes and Sawchuck, and everything after that is just depth and gravy. Don't sleep on Tawi Walker, man. Spring game MVP a year ago, or was right, right up there for spring game MVP. So to, to kind of wrap up the spring preview, we've touched on I, pretty much all of them at this point. What is the – you don't have to go too in-depth because we have touched on all of them, but what is the, the the position to watch? What's the most intriguing position? Who – it sounds like wide receivers might be the answer for you. I Yeah, I, because and I've asked coaches this before. Too. I've asked coaches this before. I asked Lincoln this. Um, I, I remember asking Bob this a couple of times during his time. Is Does your offense run better when you have a designated alpha dog at wide receiver? Yeah, everybody's offense runs better when you've got a 1,000-yard receiver, a 1,500-yard receiver, right? Everybody's does. When you don't have that guy and you're searching for that guy and you're having to spread it out to six or seven different guys and everybody's got 18 catches for 350 yards, right? That's not productive. No offensive coordinator wants to have to do that. You want that big play guy. You want that alpha dog. So the question is, who's it going to be? And right now we have no idea. Jalil Farouk would seem to be the leader. We'll have to wait and see uh, if he's up to that task because it's a big task at a place like Oklahoma. Just look at the names, some of the names that you ticked off a minute ago. Yeah, wide receiver is really good. Um, and I'm going to flip to who were – if who's watching the wide receivers, who's also going to probably be watching the defensive backs that are going up against them. And for me, you're looking at uh, replacing C.J. Colden at one corner spot, replacing 
You had Justin Broyles and Trey Morrison, who played a ton at, at another safety spot. Uh, when they went to three safety look, so that 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 gives Oklahoma room to fiddle with whether it's you know Bowman, Lawrence, and Demond Harmon. Those are the guys that we saw a lot last year. Okay, well, it's a big spring for like a Robert Spears Jennings, right? A, a guy that um, Oklahoma just signed seven defensive backs, right, in the twenty twenty three class. So. How quickly can you come along and, and make that next jump? Guys that we didn't get to see last year, Jaden Roach, Marion Burt. What, what does that look like as far as a Oklahoma just signed seven defensive backs? If you if you don't get it into gear, are you going to get jumped by some of these guys? And and yeah. so I think that's going to be a really fascinating thing to look at on top of breaking in Pearson again, another experienced uh, safety. And then you look at the other corner spot, Jaden Davis, does he do that? He starts cause he's experienced and, and gets his job taken again. Can I Walker? We didn't see him a ton after TCU. I think there's just so many faces in the defensive back room to whittle that down to four or five guys, depending on what OU throws out on the mm-hmm. field. It'll be fascinating to see. Remember when Robert Spears-Jennings just absolutely destroyed Jason Bean on the <laughs> sideline in that Kansas game? That was probably that was that was good. That was good stuff right there. I hope to see more of him uh, this season. Yeah, I mean, not I'm not going to just reiterate everything I said earlier, but defensive ends is so fascinating to me just because they you have Grimes and, and Bounds are back, but you go and you add Bothroyd and Ford, two guys who have played a lot of football, are really really good, can certainly play high volume snaps for you. Then there's PJ Adebore. There's only so many snaps. You know, you have to figure that out. The puzzle piece is there. We're not going to learn it all in the spring, but that that position really interests me with uh, Miguel Chavis and that that group. He's done a good job getting talent there, now developing it and figuring out what's actually going to work the best, what combinations on which side, all that um, is very interesting to me. So look forward to seeing that a little bit in the spring as well. Spring football starts next week. And uh, we're going to have it all for you on allsterns.com. Venables, assistant coaches, players. Access is great. You know that by now uh, in the Venables era. So we're going to hear from a lot of people over the next month or so. So allsterns.com is going to be where you're going to want to check regularly over the next month or so because uh, we're going to have lots and lots and lots of football stuff there for you um, starting next week. So looking forward to that. All right, we'll take a timeout. We'll come back. Got some big recruiting news in the dead of the night on Monday that we're going to talk about, uh, as well as some big NFL news. Free agency's open. Former Sooners are going all over the place, making money all over the place. We'll talk about that as well. Coming up next right here on the All Sooners Podcast. Hey, it's John Hoover from my friends at Trade Pros. Spring's right around the corner, and you're going to need to make sure your air conditioning system is running right. So right now, through the end of March, Trade Pros is offering a $25 spring tune-up. Now that's a $100 value, but this month only, $25. The Spring Tune-Up is a comprehensive preventive maintenance check. They're going to do a full system diagnostic. They're going to check your Freon levels. They're going to make sure that your amperage on your system is where it's supposed to be. Heating and air systems can be complicated, and you want to know that your electronics are running at peak efficiency as the weather gets warmer. So just call Michael at Trade Pros, 405-593-1585, or go to TradeProsOKC.com. I think it's time to call Trade Pros. On Twitter, you can follow all Sooners at all underscore Sooners. Brian's at underscore Ryan Chapman. Hooves at John E. Hoover. 
I'm at Josh M. Callaway. Our website is allsooners.com. We are a Fan Nation affiliate, part of the Sports Illustrated Network. All right, big recruiting news this week for Oklahoma. Like I said, in the dead of the night, basically, 11.30, give or take, on Monday night, in the middle of March, a class of 2025 quarterback has committed to the University of Oklahoma. Oklahoma's got a 2025 commit before they have a 2024 commit, which is kind of insane. But this kid, this kid's the real deal. We talked about him a little bit last week. Kevin Sperry, this quarterback from Prosper, Texas. There's no ratings yet. That's how young this kid is. There's no ratings yet for him. But trust us, when the ratings come, they're going to be very good for this young man. He already has a lot of offers that are notable. Uh, Florida State, I know, is in there. TCU, Ole Miss, a bunch of other ones. He's a big-time young player, and he got the offer from Oklahoma last Thursday, I think it was, and he gets committed to Oklahoma on the following Monday as a sophomore in high school. Guys, put in perspective all of it. The player, what it means to get a guy committed, how hard it's going to be to keep him committed all the way until the time he signed. Just absorb the news because this is kind of unprecedented to nail a, a prospect of this caliber this early in his his recruiting process. I mean, the, the kid is he's he's a kid. He they're all kids, but he's really a kid. It's it's kind of nuts. Yeah. He, he Josh, he just turned 16 in November. Right. I was like, can he drive? So yeah. He he wasn't driving before November, right? I mean, he was having to his parents were having to drive him to workouts in Durant, Oklahoma, uh, where he's doing some sports performance work with C4 Sports, Sean Cooper and those guys. There's a lot of tendrils to this to this commitment, uh, and I think maybe my favorite one. I've got two favorites, but I think my first favorite is that he was taking a visit. He was on a visit, unofficial visit, on campus to the University of Texas. He was watching the Longhorns work out when his phone rings, and it's Jeff Levy, and Jeff Levy offers him while he's watching Texas <laughs> work out. That's unbelievable. I mean, Levy is like. Um, what, what do you call that swag kind of power that he's got? He definitely had the sunglasses on when he did that. He yes. The, the, the gangster, <laughs> the gangster sunglasses. And the, yeah, that was impressive. Uh, the other part, which is very kind of just weird and interesting is that his dad, Kevin Sperry senior, who also trained him as a young athlete, you know, that's where you get your start. Most uh, with a lot of these guys is your parents or trainers. Maybe your dad knows what he's doing. Maybe your dad has played college football before. In this case, yes, he did. He played for Washington state. And in 2002, he played for the Cougars. He was a linebacker and played in the Rose bowl against Bob Stoops and the Oklahoma Sooners. Remember that one? Nate Hibble MVP. Yeah. Crazy. He's like, what now? And your kid, who's also named Kevin is going to OU. That's, it's just kind of a full circle thing. But um, the, the obvious thing that we should talk about is I met him a couple of weeks ago, right up here by my house, about two miles away. Uh, he was at the seven on seven, the prep red zone, seven on seven that was going on up here. And he's going to be back for a different seven on seven this weekend. I'll talk to him again and uh, probably talk to his mom and dad as well. But let me just say, when I watched Jackson Arnold throw the football, I was pretty blown away. The Jackson Arnold's release is just so tight, so compact. Here I am a year later, I'm watching a 16-year-old kid from Prosper, Texas throw the football. And the, the release, the mechanics of the throw is very, very similar to Jackson Arnold. Jackson's got one of the most impressive high school 
uh, I should say one of the most impressive releases, uh, snap release really quick, Dan Marino kind of get it out as fast as you can kind of thing to go with accuracy, to go with arm strength. As for a high school kid, he's got one of the most impressive I've ever seen. This kid is three years younger and is built along those same lines. Very quick release, very compact, very he knows how to spin it. Love watching this kid throw the football. Yeah, I'm really excited to be able to, as you know, his high school journey and I guess still we call it a recruitment continues on, be able to get my eyes on him in person because the uh, the video looks good. One of those things. Um, I'm also really intrigued of what this means for how the 25 class will come together, right? Because if you remember, let's go back to last spring. And as we uh, roll into the 2024 cycle, keep this in the back of your mind that Brent Venables, because of his visit policy, basically told anyone that would listen, don't freak out if there's not just a bunch of names in the boat coming out of the spring game, spring football, right? You get everybody on campus. Brent Venables likes those guys to, to come to the spring game and show they've got that interest in Oklahoma to, to come on their own dime. Then they bring him back for the official visits. And it was it late June, July when everything started to pop off for Oklahoma on the recruiting trail, right? Okay, well, now they have their quarterback in the boat a class early, right? We know that having that quarterback is really important to help recruit that class and keep that thing together. So I just think it'll be really interesting to track to see, does that matter for these 2025 class as far as it coming together faster than it did initially uh, in you know the first cycle intervenables because you already have a quarterback in the boat? I'm going to be really interested to see what that looks like. And then the flip side of that is always, he's committed to Oklahoma for now. Two years is a very long time for everyone across the country to, to get more looks at him and, and make all their offers and things like that. So the flip side of that will just be the he's committed for now. We're going to track if he signs with Oklahoma in two years. Yeah. Uh, agree agree completely with what you're saying, Ryan. I would recommend everybody go to All Sooners. Look up, click on the football link if you can't find it on the front page. Click on the football link. A uh, story I wrote yesterday about uh, Kevin Sperry and his relationship with his strength coach, or I should say his sports performance coach, Sean Cooper. Sean told me, uh, listen to this quote. When that family gives their word, that is their word. There is no going back. None of that. No. When that family says they do, that's what they do. They're committed. They're very well thought out, very loyal, very driven, and then very, very, very family based. If OU got his word or anybody got his word, they're going to get a family that is locked in, that is committed. They're definitely not in it for the show. Okay. Yeah. That's an incredibly powerful statement. He's basically saying he's locked in. Don't worry about it. He's going to start recruiting for the Sooners, right? That's basically what that comment says. Earlier in the conversation, Sean was telling me, oh, you told him this. Oh, you stuck to their word. Oh, you said they weren't going to recruit any other guys or offer, offer any other 2025 quarterbacks. They did offer one just as kind of a courtesy, I'm told. But basically what Sean was saying was, well, you know, if you're OU, if you're a school like OU, you got to cover your bases and take care of yourself. That's what that's what uh, Kevin Sperry and his family have to do as well. So on one hand, you've got the he's locked in, he's going to OU. On the other hand, you need to be aware. Yeah, OK, it's it's quarterbacking. It's college football. It's recruiting. It's the transfer portal. It's things can change. So. I don't think there's any reason to think that anything's going to change, but we all know that recruiting is a different beast. It's a different beast. And the Spirits can be locked into Levy. And if Jeff Levy takes a head coaching job, the very same yeah. conversations we had about Jackson Arnold early on, the relationship was so strong with Jackson Arnold. 
that what did we talk about on this podcast? Arnold's with Oklahoma as long as Levy's with Oklahoma. You know what I mean? So th- there's a bunch of different angles that that's not to me. That's not being disloyal. That's you signed up to work with an OC, a quarterback coach, something like that. Right. Well, if he becomes the head coach somewhere else after like a good off season, you know what does that do? Uh, that's just part of the the wrinkles and fabrics of, of all the pieces that move in recruiting. And again, to me, that wouldn't be like a bad reflection on anybody, the family, like situations change and, and that would have been a different situation than what he had committed to. So I mean, we, we can go through a, a bunch of hypotheticals, which all leads us back to exactly what you're saying. Hoove. recruiting is recruiting. Yeah. And yeah. The, the way this, the way this shook out, I'll lay it out for you guys real quick. Uh, he, he went to camp at OU. They liked him. They told him to come back. He came back, went to the elite junior day camp. Uh, they liked him there and they said, okay, you haven't even played your first year of varsity football yet. You haven't taken a snap yet as the varsity starting quarterback at Rock Hill. Go play football, and then we'll let you know in the spring what we think about your season. He goes and he plays football, and he, you know he has an up and down season. I think his total was something like fifteen hundred yards, fifty five, fifty six percent completions, and then nine touchdowns, nine inter- nine interceptions as a first year starter, as a fifteen year old sophomore. Right? Jeff Levy thought enough of his tape and his evaluations of Kevin Sperry that he immediately offered him, you know, in the first, first couple of weeks of March and uh, uh, after one year of playing varsity football. So he one season, I should say he, him and Levy knew each other, have known each other for about a year. Uh, they've talked a lot. He said, he told me up here, this was uh, about 10 days before he got the offer from OU. Was it 10 days? Maybe less, maybe it was about a week. He said, uh, he said that, you know, I'm working on a relationship with Jeff Levy, working on a relationship with the Texas coach as well, the quarterback's coach, Milwee. Um, so he's, you know, he was looking, he was covering his bases and he was being recruited and he liked Jeff Levy and he likes Oklahoma. And then when that offer came, he was like, yeah, I'm locked in. I'm going to Oklahoma. Yeah. And, you know, if you're an Oklahoma fan, it feels a little uneasy about, you know, getting a kid so young, offering a kid so young, a quarterback. Yeah. You know, like I said a little bit ago, he already had a lot of major offers for Oklahoma even came down. Florida State among them, Ole Miss, TCU, I want to say Tennessee and Texas A&M maybe were in Oregon. there. Yeah. He's got an Oregon. Yeah, he's got a, a very nice offer sheet uh, already. Incredibly nice for a high school sophomore. So, you know, it's not like Oklahoma is the only one in on this random kid. He, he's, he's highly sought after and very highly thought of. And I would say, too, if you want some more optimism for keeping him, I mean, we, we, we know it. We talked about it, you know, last spring and, and often since then, how Brent Venables implores these kids not to commit if they're going to still shop around and if they don't really mean it. I got to imagine he threw that times two for a kid who's a sophomore in high school. He, he I You just have to feel like he definitely, whether directly or through Jeff Levy, told him, do not commit if you don't mean it. Um, now, it's a kid. And, you know, they got to do what they got to do and, you know, everything like that. And we'll see how it plays out over the next two years. But, you know, you got to feel like he doesn't make this decision unless he's very solid. Very, very solid. So we'll see. And it will, will we keep up with it for a long time because I don't know. Will the world still be spinning when this kid signs? It's so far from now. It's, <laughs> it's um, I mean, it's a different world. Who knows what's going to be going on? That signing day. So uh, we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. Let me ask you guys this. What impact, if any, does this have on Michael Hawkins? 
And if you're not familiar with Michael Hawkins, he's the 2024 quarterback that Oklahoma is chasing. McKinney, Texas, uh, four-star recruit. Oklahoma's considered the favorites there. Uh, we've all we've heard from some separate places that he's in very good shape to go to Oklahoma. But that was before the Sperry news. You already have Jackson Arnold, who's going to be the guy soon. Now you have Kevin Sperry coming right up behind him. Does this affect Michael Hawkins, whether that whether it's his wanting to come to Oklahoma or if he's really going to ever be a guy at Oklahoma? Where does this fall on Hawkins to you guys? It's a good question. It's a legit question. And uh, I just asked someone who knows Jackson Arnold really well, knows Michael Hawkins really well, mm. and knows Kevin Sperry really well. And he, I asked him, I said, does this affect Hawkins and his decision, eventual decision at all? And he said, not at all. Um, so I'll just, I'll just leave it at that. We don't know. But the, the speed with which Kevin Sperry committed after the offer and the whole, you know, his family's not backing away from a commitment and all that kind of stuff. It makes you wonder. It makes you wonder because it's like, okay, um, if I commit now as a 2025, maybe the guy that was wanting to commit as a 2024 decides to commit somewhere else. And that opens a little bit more window for me as a 2025 to come in and play earlier whenever Jackson Arnold leaves. Right. That's the presumptive path at this point. Uh, I think it's, I think it's a good question, Josh. I think it's worth asking, but I'm told that Michael Hawkins is pretty, mm, I'm not gonna say locked in. He, he is, he has really enjoyed his recruitment at Oklahoma so far, but you know, his options are wide open. Everything's before him. He's been offered by just about everybody. Everybody wants him. Um, he's got a lot of options, but I'm told that he really favors Oklahoma at this point. We'll see. I mean, his dad played there. We all know the score. We all know the backstory. Um, but we'll see how this thing shakes out. It's going to be interesting to watch over the next 12 to 24 months. Yeah, I think Levy and the staff have been pretty clear that they're recruiting a quarterback every year. They're not doing the take a year off, get yeah. the number one guy, take a year <laughs> off, get the number one guy. Oh, hey, did Chandler Morris fall into our lap? Cool. Uh, so far, <laughs> so I, I think on that front, like I think any quarterback committee to Oklahoma knows that they're going to sign a quarterback a year. That's standard operating procedure in college football. And also, this isn't meant as a slight, but Sperry isn't like Arch Manning, who had been talked about since he was in like fifth grade. You know what I mean? And, and whether Arch pans out or not, the the myth, the ethos, the legend of Arch was already a, a big factor. That, that's just not the case with basically every other quarterback, even the top guys. Like, And for me, for it to be a quarterback behind you that you're worried about, it would have to be someone with the legend surrounding him like an Arch or someone like that. Because if anything, if I'm a commit right now, I'm looking ahead to Jackson Arnold. I'm not looking to to what's behind me. Yeah, and Michael Hawkins' dad, just like Kevin Sperry's dad, played Division One football too. Uh-huh. Played on that Rose Bowl team, right in '02. Uh, yeah, that's interesting. The, the The crazy thing about if you if you look at, and I'm going to try and talk to some of his, his two quarterback trainers uh, later this week for a story for this weekend. Um, Kevin Sperry, if you look at his path, his dad again was a linebacker trained his kids as young athletes. Kevin Sperry came up as a running back, playing youth football and playing junior high football. He was a running back until the eighth grade. He's in his second year of playing quarterback right now and can spin it like I was describing earlier. So uh, those guys that have been working with him have done some really good work, obviously. Um, he's he's impressive. He's, going, he's only going to get better. He is at the very beginning of his career. Think about that. 
you know who else played running back for a majority of the start of his career? Of course, it's Caleb Williams. I mean, you just just just, th- just throw that yeah. out there. Okay. I'm All not. Right, I'm not drawing those parallels. That's <laughs> funny that you mentioned the Lincoln's every other year strategy. It's like his re- his reasoning was well. How- how am I supposed to recruit a quarterback when I'm in New York every other December for a, for a Heisman Trophy ceremony, right? It's tough. It's a tough line. <laughs> it was working until it until it wasn't, uh, until you missed on one, and then then we had issues. In, uh, uh, it's still working, right? Isn't it? Yeah, the Kinda. key is... 2021 you, went down to pooper because Rattler wasn't as good as he was supposed to be. Yeah. Yeah, if you miss on one, you just you, you have to miss when it's he, he's the redshirt freshman. That way you can just flip-flop and, and just right. immediately plug uh, Caleb Williams in. Yeah, sure, sure. going to be fun. going to be fun to watch. But uh, if they do get Hawkins, I mean, Arnold, Hawkins, Sperry, that's a pretty good start for Mr. Levy. Um, Got to say. <laughs> Got to say, that's a pretty good start. So we'll keep up with that a lot over the next, like who said, two years. Long, long way to go in, in that whole uh, – Process. He's going to be a household name before he gets to OU uh, when you're when you're committed for that long. So we thought Arnold was a long time with uh, January before, and uh, yeah. this is blowing that out of the water. All right, so we got some NFL stuff to get to in a minute. Before we do, interesting news this morning. I want to get your reaction to it. Big Twelve has announced that next year they're going to have their own pro day, a conference pro day. It's never been done before. This is the first of its kind. At least it, my understanding is the first of its kind. Not this year. We're talking about the 2024 cycle. It's going to be in Frisco, Texas at the Star, at the Cowboys Athletic uh, Facility there, which is where Baseball Media used to be before they moved it. What do we make of this? This is a weird one for me because initially I, it sounds redundant. Do we really need another another combine type thing? You already have the combine, and then each school has their own pro day. But really, honestly, to me, and you guys can, can piggyback off this, this feels like if this is going to be a trend, maybe the death of pro days, of school pro days. If you're going to just go – because I would imagine the NFL teams are like, sweet. Yeah, yeah, let's get all the Big 12 schools in one place and do it then. That way we don't have to go to Norman, Oklahoma, and then Stillwater, Oklahoma, and then Lubbock, Texas, and everywhere else. So that's my initial thought. What about you guys? Okay, so there's two things about this that I don't like. I like I like having it centralized. I like having NFL being able to come down and pick and choose and watch – everything in a central location. It's a good location. The turf is great. The facilities are great. Everything's yeah. good there. There's a couple things I don't like. One is players who do their pro day um, after the combine are almost always perform better in their pro day sit- situation in a pro day setting because they're more comfortable. They slept in, we've talked about it before, Curtis Lofton, right? They slept in your own bed. You're, everything's working. Your, your mind is where it's supposed to be. You're not in an unfamiliar, uncomfortable situation setting that you have to perform at a high level. So I don't like that element of it the, from the fact that um, NFL players are seeing guys. And th- this is what they want. They want to push guys into a place where they're not comfortable and they want to see how they respond. That's that's not doesn't always produce the best results when you do that. So it, it can, and you can find diamonds in the rough and you can knock the edges off, so to speak, or whatever. But at the same time, you're you're not necessarily getting a guy who's performing at his best. And why would you do anything counter to finding somebody who is performing at their best? Okay, so that's one thing I don't like. The other thing is this is this is definitely an NFL partnership with the Big 12, where the NFL is coming in and saying, "Yeah, if we could centralize this, get all of our scouts in one location for 
two days or one day or whatever and see all these guys. That would be awesome. We'll do that. The NFL is trying to save a little money and trying to save, trying to centralize its manpower instead of sending scouts all over the country for a month's period. They're sending guys to one location or two locations or three locations. What they've done in the past is Oklahoma's pro day is one day. Oklahoma State's pro day is the next day. And then usually Tulsa's pro day is the next day. Tulsa, which doesn't have a lot of guys going into the NFL, has in recent years had more than Texas, for instance. They've had more first-rounders, more draft picks than Texas, which is crazy. Um, Tulsa now, when do guys go see a school like Tulsa, a group of five school, right? That was just on the regular path, like you stop here, then you stop here, then you stop here. When are they going to go see those guys if they're all located in Dallas? And what's the point of centralizing this if you're going to say, well, we're going to go to Tulsa anyway. We're going to go to Tulane anyway. We're going to go to El Paso anyway. Okay, so what's the point? Why are you doing this centralized thing? So it's just weird. I think it's going to be good. Uh, I don't know if it's going to be good for everybody. Yeah, I, I think that what the NFL probably hopes is that everyone sees this happens. You're already seeing the parade. Everyone's like, oh, my gosh, pat on the back. This is awesome. Great job. Great job, Brett Yormark, Gold Star. Uh, and then everyone's going to be like, oh, well, now the Pac-12 needs to do this. And now whatever. And then, then the NFL, I think what they're hoping is that, okay, it just becomes a, instead of having to hit 131 D1 schools plus all of the D2, all that stuff, we just got to hit every conference's pro day. And that you start stacking, hey, there will be a week where the SEC goes on a Tuesday, the Big 12 goes on a Thursday. And then it simplifies the scouting process. From the Big 12 perspective, I think it's a no-brainer. Like, Iowa State is stoked about this news. BYU is stoked about this news. Texas Tech is stoked about this news. Because you're pretty much going to guarantee that every scout now gets to see every one of your guys who rolls through Pro Day. For all you in Texas, like, they're going to participate. Fine, whatever. To me, this is absolutely just whatever for them. Because... Oh, you in Texas have every scout at their pro day anyway. And it's the same thing for like, if you see this out of the SEC, it would benefit Vanderbilt. It would benefit, you know, Mississippi state, South Carolina, Alabama, and Georgia. Guess what? They've got every scout at their pro day anyway. And so I think to, to your point, OU, Texas, Bama, Georgia, Ohio state, Michigan, USC, they'd rather their athletes go through their own pro day where they're comfortable and performing as well as possible, as opposed to going through basically just a second combine. I don't think it's a preference so much that they would object to it as obviously, you know, OU and Texas, they said all 14 schools are on board next year, but I think it's a great move for the, especially because the big 12 is going to have no marquee teams after OU and Texas leave. It's just, you know, I think it, it doesn't really matter either way for the biggest schools. And, and we're only really talking about, you know, 10 to 15 programs in the country that this like wouldn't matter for. They're going to do a job fair at this pro day as well for players who aren't going to play in the NFL. Uh, we've got some career networking opportunities for you as well. That's what they're saying. Um, so that'll be, that'll be weird. Pro, uh, public is not allowed to attend. I'm also, although, however, I'm they sure they have a fan fest outdoors. Yeah, the fan fest will be great. I'm sure that your mark will continue his uh, quest to cut media access because that's yes. another thing is after pro day, we get everybody. Uh, we solved the Big 12 tournament and how the Big 12 handled that, where it was basically put everybody at the rafters uh, so that you can comp seats to Shaq and Fat Joe courtside. Like that was supposed to be a money thing. Those were comp seats. So, and Brett Yormark, who went out of his way to oh my gosh, ESPN, thank you for telling all these lovely stories, all this stuff, while 
shifting all the beat reporters who have told the stories of all the teams of the Big 12 all year long to the rafters so that they can't figure out what's happening. Like Josh, Josh would know more about the OU basketball team than I would at the Lloyd Noble Center. Why? Because he's on the court and can see Porter Moser interacting with people. I'm in the rafters there. I if there's a technical foul review, I have to pull up my ESPN Plus stream to figure out what's going on. Like I'm mm-hmm. as informed as you are in the middle of the game. That's what your mark did there, and I'm sure he's not going to figure out. Hey, maybe the media portion of it afterwards is also good for spinning narratives and stories through the draft. So I'm sure that'll continue to be a casualty because that's what your mark seems to be doing. Unless it's Dennis Dodd who gets a brief every single week about the corner schools. Uh, also, if you're the Big Twelve, you have perfected the art of not showing replays not introducing any kind of controversy, keeping your fans and the media in the arena completely guessing. So your mark just takes that to another level. Um, yeah, it it's going the wrong direction for sure. Basketball has been trending that way for a long time, but to take your conference tournament where everybody is assembled, and here's the, here's the really bad part. Me and you, Ryan, we're trying to do our job. We're up in the rafters or whatever. And it, to be honest, to be fair, full disclosure, we didn't cover this year's tournament. I kind of saw this coming and I didn't, I thought, well, this is a bad basketball team that's going to probably go one and done. He was in 10th also. Yeah, yeah, 10th place, 10th seed. Do we want to spend the money and the resources to go all the way to Kansas City for two days, three days, however long they stay? Um, But the fact that you've got reporters who are in the quote-unquote press box, right? When When the game is over, okay, press conference starts in 10 minutes. You guys go ahead and head on downstairs to the press conference. They've the elevators were not taking people to the press conference. Elevators were locked or shut down or slow or and people who are in the press box trying to get to the press conference to talk to the coach about what happened because they couldn't see because they're sitting nine hundred feet away, right? You what what's the point of going to cover that? Have fun with your Big Twelve basketball tournament, Big Twelve. On top of that. Uh, and not to turn this into a Yormark session, but I think that Yormark is a great PR team and what he's doing is pretty overrated right now. Um, at Big 12 Basketball Media Day, Brett Yormark had announced that there were changes coming to media seating because, A, it was a financial move for the conference to yeah. be able to sell more premium seats. But let's talk about what happened at the women's basketball tournament which goes on at the same time. It happens in a municipal auditorium, not a basketball arena. I know they're changing that soon, and that wasn't a Yormark decision. But talking to some of the guys that did go up and cover that, the women's basketball media seating was exactly the same. So is that the Big 12 saying that they only see men's basketball as being profitable because they moved the media for profits in the men's tournament but didn't touch the women's tournament? That's not being talked about, but I think it's a valid question to write your mark. If you're going to do one, which you shouldn't have done the first one, why did you not move both unless you're blatantly being transparent and saying you only see one half of your offerings as financially marketable? That's an issue I think that the Big 12 is going to have to have as well. He's such a misogynist. He probably opens doors for women still. <laughs> I'm, still just, I'm just hung up on the, the fact that I'm still thinking about that they're going to have a fan fest at the pro day. What psychopath yeah. is going down to Frisco or whatever <laughs> for the Big 12 pro day that you can't even attend? That's just borderline psychotic behavior. Yeah, I wonder, wonder what's going on in there. I wonder how fast uh, you know Dylan Gabriel is running his 40. Oh, well, I'll have some brats. We're out here. <laughs> and I'll throw some footballs through this uh, tube. 
That's what? That's so weird. Truly hashtag Big Twelve Eats at the Fan Fest. That sounds like the best part to come out of that. By the way, is getting one school's uh, top dish to be Did part you of your see concessions. Yeah, the that Kansas sounds... State hot dog though. The what? The, the Kansas State hot dog or whatever it was, the sausage <laughs> or whatever. I will say you. Oh, no. Yeah, I've not seen it. <laughs> the I wouldn't eat it. Put it that way. <laughs> I was told so. Jacob Unruh did the the people's work and ranked all of them. Uh, that the purple relish aesthetically was odd, but I was told the taste was fine. It just was an odd to be like, I'm not used to seeing purple on my hot dog. I'll send you guys a tweet that I saw that made me cackle for like 10 minutes. (laughs) I won't, I won't, I won't read it. It's a little not podcast friendly, but I will send it to you guys because it was not good. And the caption was great. So uh, you guys can take a look at that. (laughs) Big 12, man. Big 12. SEC still has them right on the floor. And the other conferences just do whatever the SEC is doing, pretty much at all times. Just replicate. And wow. SEC, they're still right there. I saw the turn on TV; they're right there. So, except for did the SEC, did I ever tell you guys the story of my uh, of the SEC tournament I attended, covering the Razorbacks in '98? Uh, Dick Vitale was sitting right in front of me. I was sitting on the the back row, the second row of of the press table. And there was a there was like a break in the presto, so that's where you could funnel through. Mm-hmm. And if you needed to, you went you stepped down. I had to go to the bathroom, so I stepped down. And I'm like, okay, I don't want to miss what's coming up, so I'm going to run to the to the restroom. I stepped down, and Dick Vitale is right in front of me. He turns around and he goes, "Come here, Ashley. Ashley Judd, Kentucky fan." Steps in front of me, and we smashed into each other. I smashed into chest to chest, face to face, Ashley Judd. And I thought, they're going to literally kill me here in Atlanta. It was amazing. It was one of the great experiences of my life. It's in Nashville now. Whole different world. Yeah. I uh, follow what the SEC is doing, except for hiring practices. That's very true. Welcome, Chris Beard. Can't get away from that guy. He'll be, uh, we'll be seeing Chris Beard some more in the, in the near future. What's um, their. Uh, yeah. Sorry, I was going to make a really bad double Jeopardy joke, and then I got really like gun-shy. I was like, wait, was that Ashley Judd? Then we just missed it, and I just waved the white flag. It was unfortunate. <laughs> I tried, Hoove. I'm sorry. NFL. Um, flipping over to that to uh, wrap up the second segment here. Got a lot to hit real quick. Won't spend a ton of time on it, but let's first, uh, the obvious, Mr. Baker Mayfield has a new team. Uh, came out this morning, right as we were literally setting up to record the show. It was reported that Baker Mayfield has signed a one-year deal with the Tampa Bay Bucks, So he's back in the NFC South. And there was a lot of thought that he might go back to the Rams because he finished the year pretty well. He only played five games with the Rams last year, but was reasonably well. Had uh, the big comeback win against Ryan's Raiders. He absolutely killed the Broncos on Christmas Day. Did some nice things. There was some thought they might bring him back. He can be Matt Stafford's backup, you know, kind of a thing. Might be good for everybody involved. But the Bucks have an opening. Tom Brady retired. They have really no viable options on that team and they sign Baker Mayfield. You got to imagine he's got a shot at least to start there. So what do we think of the fit for Baker um, with Tampa Bay? Um, Happy for him to have another shot. I don't, I feel kind of similar to how we felt about Carolina last year though. I don't know if that team is really in any position to do anything, but we'll see. We'll see. What do we think of this? Uh, Well, first of all, this is bad for the Rams. Uh, I was hoping Baker would stay because um, Matt Stafford coming off concussion, coming off a neck sprain, coming off of all the things that he's had the last couple of years. Listen, 
there's only one quarterback or maybe two that I like more than Matt Stafford. Uh, Kurt Warner is one of them. Thank you, Kurt. Thank you, Matt Stafford, for the Super Bowl trophies. You guys rock. Uh, but it, Rams need to really start thinking about the future at that position. Uh, I thought Baker and um, and all indications were that Baker and Sean McVay were a good pairing. That they met on the on the plane on the way to Indianapolis for the combine and sat there and talked ball for three or four hours. Right, got them off the plane from from uh, Carolina. Says, "Here's what we're going to do." Basically, pulled an all nighter, gave him a bunch of coffee, and said, "Here's our playbook. Study. You're going to start tomorrow night." That was weird, but Baker did it. Um, it wasn't a great first start, but the way he finished was unbelievable. Gave a lot of Rams fans hope. So too bad for the Rams that he's not coming back to L.A. That sucks. However, there's job openings. There are immediate job openings in Tampa Bay, are there not? Um, I was going to say, yeah, he can roll in there and learn from the best, right? Learn from the goat. No, no, the goat's not there. The goat's retired. Tom Brady's not coming back, apparently, we think, right? So... Kyle Trask is their guy. Guys, we saw Kyle Trask up close in college. Um, not impressed. Drink had him in hell. What does that yeah, tell you? Yeah, they did. Uh, who was their, who's their other back? Blaine Gabbert, is that their backup? Or the, yeah. yeah. They were thinking about building around Kyle Trask, but now they've got Baker Mayfield in there. I don't know. I'm taking Baker over Kyle Trask. This is a great opportunity for Baker. Yeah, the really bad news for him is that the Raiders aren't on Tampa Bay's 2023 schedule, so he doesn't get the pants, Josh McDaniels, and maybe the worst coach that's ever done it uh, again. But for Baker, it, I think it's a – Josh, you're right that it's not like an ideal situation. It's not a team that's projected to do anything. But when you just look at like the offense and the pieces that are there, I, I think it's a better situation to roll into than what he had initially rolled into in Carolina, first off. Like Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, those guys are actually legit weapons to use. If that offensive line is healthy and it's anchored by Jensen, that's a incredibly experienced guy that, that's been through a ton that can help that offensive line out and help keep Baker protected. The flip side of that is he is headed back into a, another situation where everyone on that staff is going to be coaching for their job. And, and so it's not going to be the most probably – settled environment off the field just because with what Bulls did and all that stuff, he's going to be under a lot of pressure this season. But I, I think he's in that exact same division, right? And Carolina might be taking freaking Anthony Richardson at number one overall. So not worried about that. The Falcons, sorry. At, are they happy with Ritter? Are they like... He's the guy, apparently. They, they're they rolling with Ritter. Yeah, and so that's not really someone at this point that's striking fear to anyone, right? Uh, Derek Carr, do, do we need to have a Derek Carr conversation? That guy's going to fumble the ball at the end zone more times than he does something good for the Saints. That That's the Derek Carr experience. So it, it's not exactly a murderer's row for, for Baker to get back to the playoffs out of that same division that he started in last year. Yeah, no, I mean, as an Atlanta Falcons fan, I'll tell you that that division is not good. Um, it was bad last year. There's not really much reason to think it's going to be much better. Um, Panthers are in the market to draft the QB. Like Brian said, they moved it to number one. Saints have Derek Carr. Falcons have Desmond Ritter slash Taylor Heineke. So I don't know. Uh, the, the division is not scary. I, I will say that. So we'll we'll see. I don't know. We, we're root for Baker as we always do. Um, but I don't know. We'll see. It's a one year deal, so it's not a big commitment by the Bucks. I do think that there is. Always going to be a market for Baker. You see guys like Jarrett Stidham signing backup deals like just endlessly, even though they've proven time and time again they're not really any kind of a viable option. So 
Baker's going to be around for a while, but as as a starting quarterback, this might be his last shot. We'll see, though. We'll see. We'll see how it plays out when the season rolls around. Elsewhere, I can't, in Ed- believe, we're, I can't believe we're talking about that at this stage of Baker's career. He just 14. finished his rookie contract. Yeah, fourth team now. And he just finished his rookie contract. He's like, wait a minute. What what did I miss? Uh, three three pretty solid years. One bad year in, in Cleveland, but for the most part, three pretty solid years. And then up and down all over the place last year. Uh, we see what he's capable of. I think I read a Deadspin. Was it Deadspin article? Might have been... Uh, might have been TMZ. I can't remember. Uh, but it was trash. Deacons <laughs> <laughs> of journalism here. Yeah, this is his last, you know, he, he after this year, he's probably never going to play in the NFL again. And he's, he's done. And he's been a whiner and a baby and everything's everybody else's fault. Poor OBJ. And I'm just like, what? what? You Somebody paid you to write this? That was, that was absolute trash. So unbelievable. Well, he'll be around. He'll be around, and I think that this is something we kind of talked about too. That's why the the Ram stop was so important for him, because Stefanski and him clearly did not get along. So if anyone was kicking the tires on Baker coming out of Cleveland, the only franchise he'd been with, no one's going to be a Baker advocate, right? An advocate for Baker. No one cares what Matt Rule has to say. He's a college football coach now, right? So no one's picking up the phone to, hey, how is Baker behind the scenes in Carolina? Stuff like that. McVay has a ton of respect in the league. You know that not just by what he's won, but because everyone who stands next to Sean McVay becomes a head coach. If you're an offensive coach, people care what he thinks. And so to have even half a season where McVay can be like, yeah, Baker came in, worked his butt off, did everything he could. He was a great guy in the locker room. Like that's going to matter for Baker Mayfield. And I think that um, without that stop, if Baker just finished out the rest of the year on the bench in Carolina, I don't think he gets this immediate opportunity to come in and actually compete for the starting job right off the top. He might have been looking for a backup stop and then maybe a, a quarterback competition. So I think that's going to be really important for shaping whatever the next stage of Baker's career is, that he has someone in the NFL that people respect that's like, yeah, don't listen to what Cleveland's saying. They don't know how to run a franchise. Look at what they did with Deshaun Watson. Elsewhere on the OU front, lots of guys signing free agent deals. What caught your guys' eye on that front? Samaje Pirine to the Broncos. Two-year deal. Cool to see him getting another new contract. Ben Powers got paid by the Broncos as well. That kind of came a little. He's been a good player for the Ravens, but Broncos dropped a bag for him. He also had Sterling Shepard back with the Giants after being injured and missing basically all of last season. So good for him getting another deal and and bringing him back. Um, and then Obo. How about Obo Karanko got paid by the Browns as well. Anything uh, that jumps out from those guys or uh, anyone else that I may have missed there uh, for, for NFL guys, OU guys signing uh, some free agent deals? Just off the top, I can't remember what Ben Powers got paid. Was it like $45 million, like $27 million guaranteed? Right? I think it's 52, 52 for four, yeah. 52, and like 26, 27, 28 million guaranteed. So, wow, congratulations to him. Uh, I remember just taking pictures um, in the final minutes of that Orange Bowl, his last game um, down there with Bill Biedenboe and the other guys from that offensive line that, you know, 2018, Kyler Murray led, uh, Joe Moore award-winning offensive line. All those guys have gotten into the NFL. All those guys are getting paid. It's pretty incredible. But, uh, yeah, he's the latest. So um, I think I read where by some metrics somebody had – it wasn't pro football focused, but it was one of those – next gen stat type things where he was the fourth most efficient offensive lineman in the NFL last year. Ben powers was, I'm like, what? That's stunning. So congrats to him. Uh, Samaje P Ryan in and out of the league. What three times his first year, first year and a half, 
finally lands with the Bucks. I'm sorry, the Bengals. After you know going back and forth with the Washington, now he's he's getting paid a little bit as well. So you got to love that um, guys that are you know family guys, guys that are serious about their craft, uh, getting into beyond their rookie contract. They're full free agents now, and they land with a spot. You got to love the way this is working out for those guys. Yeah, it was a big free agency period. Sorry, free agency tampering period. Uh, for uh, Oklahoma Sooners in the NFL. And the funny thing is, maybe the biggest one, the guy that's going to get the biggest bag, is still out there. Orlando Brown, if you look, PFF, The Athletic, The Ringer, like he's the number one free agent on the free agent big board left. Basically, everywhere, he's a guy that um, we, we've we known from his days in Baltimore. It's pretty clear, like, I want to get paid. Baltimore said, okay, cool, we're going to ship you off to Kansas City. Pretty sure that what's happening there is he's like, I would like to get compensated for my high level of play. And that's why you saw the Chiefs, that they're rumored to be trying to trade for Laramie Tunsil out of Houston. But I think that Orlando Brown, when it's all said and done, is going to get a big bag as well. And uh, you're looking at some of the teams out there, like Chicago needs help along the offensive line. Chicago also has a ton of cap space. They'd be able to come in and and bring in Orlando Brown on a really big deal. They've already made some moves this offseason to support Justin Fields. So I think that the biggest one is is still to come, honestly, for the Sooners in the NFL. The Bucks should shine uh, Orlando Brown just so he can walk out and carry Baker's jersey like he just died. <laughs> you know, he was going to be in the game two minutes <laughs> later just to recreate that moment. Which is really, <laughs> really special. Also, what number is Baker going to wear? Because he wore 17 with the Rams, and that was weird. Hopefully he goes back to six because that was bizarre. That whole Rams 17 thing, no thanks. That was weird. So hopefully he goes back to six. I don't know if six yeah, is occupied. With the Bucks, but hopefully Baker Mayfield gets his uh, his six back. He he, that's just that's him. That's his number. All right, uh, I'm looking at the Bucks roster right now. Uh, sort of Julio by number six. Sort of by there? number. Julio Jones is number six for the Bucks, so I don't think he's going to wear six. Is he Unless still Julio there, Julio? Julio Jones know, is he? washed up. He can trade it away. We'll see. Might Turf be a new, it might be a whole new number. Go off the wall again. Turf toe monster Julio Jones. Julio was great in his day, but those days have come and gone. All right. Take a time out here. We'll come back. Other sports on the way out. A few men's basketball players hit the portal. Not expected. We'll hit those real quick. Women's basketball is about to start the NCAA tournament. And we'll wrap up the weekend that was for the Diamond Sports as well on the way out. Final segment coming up next right here on the All Sooners podcast. Hey, are you a business owner looking to get your product out there to the masses? Let's say you run a hotel in Norman or a car dealership in Oklahoma City or a restaurant in Edmond. Or maybe you're a small online business who creates and sells OU merchandise and you just want Sooner Nation to come sample your wares. Well, then consider advertising in this space right here on the SI Sooners podcast. SI Sooners reaches thousands of readers, viewers, and listeners literally every day. And the SI Sooners podcast is the ideal place to find your next customer. To advertise, send an email to allsoonerssi at gmail.com or DM us on Twitter at all underscore Sooners. Final segment of the All Sooners podcast, episode 178. On this March 15th, hit some other sports here and send you on your way into your March Madness weekend. Oh. So good. March Madness, the best. Few things in life are perfect. March Madness is perfect. It's uh, it's it's phenomenal. Looking forward to checking that out a little bit. Somebody who will not be participating, the Oklahoma Sooners. 
had a terrible season, 15 and 17. We wrapped up the year last week, so we don't need to retread much of that, but just kind of putting the, the putting the finishing touches on, if you will, putting a bow on the season here. They did miss the NIT, as expected by us. You only go 15 and 17, you're not going to get an NIT bid, even though they are better than a lot of the NIT field, and they actually beat multiple teams in the NIT head-to-head, Seton Hall, Florida, among others, I think. Um, so, the number one overall seed. Well, they never beat OSU. OSU got spanked. OSU oh. spanked OU three times. Uh, he was. We, I think Hoover said they beat the number one overall seed in the tournament tournament. We were talking about the NIT. I the NIT number one overall seed, which is the Oklahoma State Cowboys. Yeah, no, <laughs> they did not come close. They could beat the number one overall seed in the NCAA, not the NIT. Sure. Yeah, okay, that's sure. weird. That's perfect for this team. Is that not the perfect resume yeah. builder for this team? That is. That is. That is. <laughs> fact that I hadn't realized that till now, that they beat number one in CWC, but got swept three times by the NIT number one, that really sur- surmises the year for Oklahoma. They go 15-17. and 17. They didn't make the NIT. They're not in the CBI either. I have I have to assume that they just said they didn't want to play in that. Because so, the CBI field is laughable if you look at the, it. Oklahoma no, the, CBI, in that. the CBI, you have to pay your own way. Yes, you do have to pay for it. So OU's like joke signaling. Like, 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 like couch cushion money for OU. Well, yeah, it is. But at the same time, Joe looks at the landscape and says, and I'm not speaking for Joe. I'm just making presumptions sure, here, right? Sure. But looks at the landscape and says, we just set a deal, $390 million total we're going to put into our athletic teams facilities. And you want me to pay for your trip to, you know, wherever uh, this, this CBI Florida. tournament is planned? Daytona, yeah, Florida. Daytona, Florida. <laughs> <laughs> no, sorry, Porter. You do not get another trip to Daytona, Florida. Go out and recruit. That's if I were the athletic director, I would tell him use that money use this recruit. time to recruit. If it's if there's a if the recruiting window has closed for men's basketball, recruit next year's class or something. Do do something. You don't get to play in a, a worthless postseason tournament that I have to pay for. If I were the athletic director, I would have said, you do not step foot on campus until you have a seven-foot-tall man that will play basketball next year for the Oklahoma Sooners. Don't come back unless yeah. you get a seven-footer. I don't take care. take 6'11". Would you accept 6'11"? 6'11 is fine. It, it, can be seven, it can be seven foot in basketball shoes. It's like, just go out, get a living, breathing center. I don't even care if they're good. They could be bad. Just get a body that can rebound. A body. You need a body. Um, they did have a couple guys at the portal, um, and we thought this would happen. Frankly, and it's been pretty light so far uh, as far as portal goes in the first week or so. Not unexpected at all. Benny Schroeder hits the portal, the German young lad who uh, played a whopping 25 minutes this year. And then C.J. Nolan, who had probably the worst year of anybody on the team when you could, when you go f- from expectations to what actually happened. I mean, C.J. Nolan was in the starting five to start this year. When we did OU Media Day back in whatever that was, August or something, October, I don't know when that was. He was one of the four guys that they gave us that day. I mean, he was expected to be one of the guys. And he got to the end of the year. He didn't even play in OU's last four games. Literally zero minutes. So, yeah, rough year for him. I think everybody thought he was going to hit the transfer portal, and he did. Benny Schroeder hits the transfer portal as well. That's it so far. We'll see what happens. Like we said on last week's show, only Tanner Groves can't come back. So there's a lot more decisions to be made. But these guys... I'm not to disparage the guys or the players, but they're not any big loss because they barely played for OU, obviously. So we'll see uh, where they end up, what the market is for them. But yeah, Benny Schroeder leaves after 25 minutes, and CJ Noland, disappointing year for him, uh, big time, and he hits the portal leaves as well. 
I'd like to ask the question. Both of you guys were on the floor, Josh. Uh, well, you were in the arena, Josh. You were on the floor. You got to sit actually fairly close to the bench and see mm-hmm. these interactions. Uh, Benny Schroeder was ESPN's number one international player in the 2023 class, 2022-23 class. What happened? Number one international player in the class, and you can't even get on the floor for a 15 and 17 team. You got to tell me. You guys got to shed some light. What went sideways with Benny Schroeder? Ryan, you could speak to it as well, but I mean, he only played 25 minutes, so it's not totally fair. But he looked yeah, but the question incredibly is why. overmatched in those 25 minutes. Okay. He did not look like he belonged on a Big 12 floor, I will say. And again, it was 25 minutes, so I don't know if that's even fair, but he didn't. And then I can't remember what point, but somebody asked Porter at some point, like, is Benny ever going to play? And he basically, in the nicest way possible, said, he's not ready for this, essentially, is what Porter had to say. That, that I just think he just wasn't good enough, which is weird considering, like you just said, who he was so highly thought of. Yeah, and I'm looking to see what his first appearance was. It was against UNC Wilmington. He played a couple of minutes. He then played three minutes against Kansas City. And, man, when he came down the floor and took his first shot against, I think it was UNC Wilmington, his legs kicked out. It was unathletic. And I turned over to, I sat by Bob Prisbillo and Eli Letterman for most of the year. And I just laughed and was like, well, this isn't going to work. He, he was clearly yeah. not up to it, I thought. Um, I think that also, so remember, assistant David Patrick, who had left for Sacramento State at the start of this year, he's supposed to be that international ace in the hole, right? The, the big one that everyone always brings up is Ben Simmons, right? When they talk about David Patrick, the international basketball landscape has changed a lot since Ben Simmons went through the best international players, either stay in Europe or play in the G league. And I think that that should like Euro league is a lot different than it was now. And so being the number one international recruit does not carry the same water. I think as it did when Lori Markinen, Ben Simmons, those guys were playing college basketball, because when you look at it, who would have been the actual number one guy? It would have been like a Josh Giddy internationally. What did he do? He played in the NBA Basketball Academy and then the NBL and stayed in Australia and then went to the NBA. So I think that it was just a swing and a miss. And international basketball recruiting for the college ranks, I think, has changed so much. But yeah, Benny Schroeder was not a D1, like Big 12 basketball player. Yeah. Okay. That, that answers that question. Now, what about... C.J. Nolan, he goes from a, what was a very promising freshman year, and at the minimum, I thought this year he was going to be the top sixth man. And by the end of the season, he's not getting on the floor. What? How did he fall so far in Porter Moser's eyes? Brian, I don't know. This one's harder to, to gather. Uh, C.J. Nolan, is he just playing the wrong sport? The guy is a Mack truck. Yeah. He's huge. And he lost, didn't he lose some weight, though, this year? Kind of slimmed down? He wasn't as big, but he was still big. <laughs> Um, but he wasn't as big. You're, you're right. And he could shoot a little bit. I think that, and we're not at practice. Porter Moser doesn't let us come to practice, but I think he maybe wasn't very good in practice. I don't know if he, you know, I don't want to speak to his work ethic or anything, but Porter rewards guys who have good practices. And I think maybe CJ wasn't always dialed in during practice. That, that, that's my feel of that situation. Cause he got back on the floor and played more minutes. Porter was like, he's practicing well, he's getting back on the floor, and then that faded again down the stretch. I don't know. He wasn't very productive. I, I don't know. What do you think, Ryan? That, that one's harder to, for me to, to gather. Yeah, I, I mean, I think for him the biggest thing is that he started from three this year. He started three of 16, 
across the first five games of the year. He's not really a guy that had a really expansive, like, oh my gosh, you felt great about CJ Nolan putting his head down, taking it to the rack, finishing through contact, anything like that. And, and so I think that Porter Moser quickly, like he wasn't making threes. So he shifted to Milo Suzon, who's just a more dynamic guard. And then from there, I, it felt like CJ Nolan kind of checked out, frankly. He was yeah. not a Porter Moser commit. Him and Bijan Cortez both committed to Lon Kruger, decided to stay with Moser, stayed through the first year. And, and you're right, he was an all-freshman team guy last year. I think it was one where he didn't hit the three ball really well. I saw, frankly, no develop. Like He looked like the exact same player this year that he did last year. I saw no on-court development from him, which is a red flag. And uh, not for him, but for the coaching staff. And uh, from there, he, he just looked like a guy that looked pretty checked out. Toward the end of the year, even his demeanor on the bench was of a guy that knew he was not going to get in the game and looked like he was just counting the minutes till he could hit the portal. So, Long Kruger recruit, right? Yeah, yeah. Him and Cortez uh-huh. both committed to Kruger and then stayed on. So that'll be the that that's the next bar for the basketball team right we expected Schroeder and Nolan to hit the portal Porter Moser needs to lock down everybody else if you're going to be a development program you can't have seven guys in the portal every offseason you can't do it I I thought Nolan was going to be one of those culture guys that you bring back and not necessarily build around but helps lay lay that foundation for your future classes man that didn't happen to start the year, and I don't want to put too much into it, but he was one of the four media day guys. It was the Groves Bros, Jalen Hill, and CJ Nolan. That's who Porter Moser put up there to talk about the team to start the year. He was in the starting five and, uh, yeah, fell a, a long way. And, yeah, like like Ryan said, I mean, the, the book on on uh, CJ this year, I mean, what, how how early? Like January was he? he this guy's going to transfer. <laughs> He's not going to be back. You could tell. He, he wore it on his face a little bit that, uh, yeah, he, he – didn't want to be there and he stuck it out credit to him you know he finished the season and everything but and then obviously toward the end porter probably knew that as well that's why he stopped playing him um when the season when the writing was on the wall for the season he moved on so if it's just those two that's not that bad at all we'll see uh there's still a long way to go here but the big ones like we talked about last week you gotta find a way to keep oa and news on and then if you can get jalen hill back that would be pretty pretty significant as well those are the big ones Everyone else, I think you can absorb. You have to keep Sherfield too, obviously. Um, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, but yeah, a couple of guys hit the portal here, and it's always interesting. I do this with football a lot too to see what the market is for these guys because I think the book on Benny is that he might go back overseas. He might not even play college basketball anymore, and that kind of tells you a little bit of <laughs> a little bit of that. That fills in a little bit of the blanks there. CJ, that's going to be interesting. More interesting is how how high of a level of program thinks that they can mold him into something, or is he going to end up somewhere kind of small? Cause it feels like he's got a North Texas type of thing written all over him. Not to say that's actually a program he would go to, but just that level of, of team, you know, if you're Benny, would you rather average 27 points a game in Europe? Like you did for the U19 German team, or would you rather um, ride the bench in college in, in the U S uh, I know what, I know which one I'd pick. I think Same. Benny is just the leg tattoo. I think the leg tattoo just didn't play in Oklahoma. It's more of a Europe thing. <laughs> if you're going to do that, you better be a high caliber player. It's basically that you got to back it up. Yeah, <laughs> you got to back it up. Although back appara- it up. Apparently, I I think that Benny Schroeder is going to have a market if he decides to stay just because 
like behind the scenes when he would go in and work out just by himself like apparently he can just put up highlight dunk after highlight dunk after highlight dunk just none of it translates to actually playing actual games of basketball youtube sensation yes youtube sensation Benny. people were excited about benny schroeder didn't work out it is what it is we move on women's team meanwhile they're not hosting as expected, uh, last week on the show, we were all in agreement. Ryan, he nailed it. He said, hey, their metrics are not good enough. They simply will not host unless they win the Big 12 tournament. We thought maybe, maybe if they get to the championship game and lose, maybe they have a shot. That didn't happen. They lost in the semifinals to Iowa State. It doesn't feel like the vibes are that good right now. They're not playing overly well, and they're really banged up. Maddie Williams and, and Ana Yunusa are both with big old braces on their legs out there. So they're going to see what they can do. They are not hosting, like I said. They're a five seed. They're going out to Los Angeles, California. They are playing Portland on Saturday. And if they win, they presumably would play UCLA in a true road game on Monday. So I don't know. What do you guys think here? Like I said, the vibes just don't seem to be – they're not playing that well. They still don't have any wins of any great note, like we've been saying for months now. And Like I said, they're banged up. Maddie Williams, Ani Yunus are both – playing through it, but they're clearly not 100%. We'll see what happens, but they're kind of up against it a little bit here going into the tournament. So they got to go play in, in the Greenville Regional, which is in Los Angeles. <laughs> you got to <laughs> love women's basketball. And, uh, just, and the just whole thing, this year, this is a mind blower that they did, like, I'm trying to find the way to articulate it. The entire Sweet 16 Elite Eight are all in Greenville and Seattle. The yeah. entire thing. Like, they changed then, it this year, yeah. Yeah, then the Final Four is actually right down the road in Dallas. So if they make the Final Four, we can motor on down there. But I don't anticipate that happening. But we'll, we'll, yeah, we'll I see. probably is, is should get the credential requests in if we're planning on going to Dallas for the Final Four, shouldn't I? <laughs> I don't think you need to call it. Well, South Carolina is in their region. I was, so was going to say, yeah. No, they're not getting out of the Sweet 16. <laughs> I was going to say, here's here's the setup. They got to beat Portland. Full stop. From there, they have <laughs> struggled against teams that are th- at their level or better. So if they beat UCLA, that is not my expectation. But if they beat UCLA, I think that's a successful year. You get a week of pub in the women's basketball world to be a Sweet 16 team, all that. That's stuff that you need. Last year. Yeah, and it's like, and that's stuff that Jenny Brownchat can tweet, can uh, recruit off of because she didn't want to recruit off of their tournament run last year because of what happened against Notre Dame. Like, this wasn't great. Your reward is South Carolina, where they are going to crush you because that is what South Carolina does. If you're not named LSU, UConn, or Stanford, you are going to get crushed by this South Carolina team, and they're probably going to crush one of those teams that I just mentioned. You can go into Greenville and you can hope that if you just have one of those days where OU shoots 60% from behind the arc, they might win that basketball game. Sick. Uh, there is no expectation, and it's not necessarily a bad thing to get absolutely dominated by South Carolina. They're just that good. And uh, it'll be a nice welcome to the SEC moment for the Sooners. But uh, the Sweet 16, getting to the Sweet 16, that should be the goal. My expectation is that they will beat Portland, then lose to UCLA. Yeah, I mean... You want to get to the Sweet 16, for obviously. You want to win. But it wouldn't be, in my opinion, frankly, the worst thing in the world if they lose to UCLA in a competitive game. Honestly. Because South Carolina, that 
that will be bad. That that will be bad because South Carolina is just a different. And South Carolina does that to a lot of teams. They um, did LSU this year. They like murder yeah. LSU, who was yeah. number two and undefeated at the time. I yeah. fear for what that would look like, and for for them to get you know ran out of the gym in the tournament two years in a row would be a tough tough scene. Now you want to get there, but if you lose UCLA competitively, it's not the worst thing, in my opinion. Well, remember this is a team that's there. Most of these guys are finishing their career in sure. college. So they want to go as far as they can, but I don't think any of them want the last memory to be getting slaughtered by 60 points against uh, last year's defending national champ, this year's number one overall seed undefeated at, I think 32 and 0, 20, 28 and 0. Uh, they were 35 and two last year. South Carolina was, um, they have just beaten teams to bloody pulps this year. Who guards Boston? A, yeah. Into oblivion. <laughs> so, Nobody. She's going to score 100. She's going to go wilt. What's up, yeah. Kyler Van? Welcome. That's, <laughs> yeah, that's going to be that's going to be an almost impossible, thankless task, and you don't want to finish your career that way. So nobody's saying throw the game, beat Portland, and then throw the game against no, UCLA. Right. Um, but at the same time, I would rather probably lose the second game to UCLA by four points, right, than to have to go another week cross-country to the sweet 16 and you can hang a sweet 16 banner. And remember every, every time I look at that banner, I remember that we lost by 58 points to South Carolina. Ooh, nobody wants that. Cause they're again, this, this team last year, they were on a all time high. They were cooking along and all of a sudden they met Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. Bad finish to the year last year, in Notre Dame. Yeah, completely agree. You want to win, but if you avoid South Carolina, not, not the worst thing. Anybody else. Not South Carolina. That draw was not good. As soon as I saw that, it was like, oh, man. Because almost anybody else you're thinking, maybe, maybe. Not South Carolina. There is no maybe. Um, All right. Shifting over. Diamond Sports to wrap up. Softball. Doing what they do. Kept winning. Um, They had the big game at Florida State last night. Ryan Chapman was in attendance at Marita Hines Field um, against, um, I think, depending on where you look, six or seven Florida State. Uh, There's multiple polls. Top ten. Uh, they beat them. It's a close, competitive game. Found a way to get the job done. Uh, it feels like they haven't lost a home game in a thousand years. I'm not sure when the last home loss actually is. Um, but they keep winning, and they're doing what they do. Ryan, you were there. Passed the test. I mean, you got a big win and a big game. Yeah, it, it was a really fun game, too. I think that was the important thing. I I know a lot of Oklahoma fans want the hey, big run rule, stuff like that, but we don't often get to see these ranked matchups in Norman. This is the highest ranked matchup Oklahoma hosted since a two game set against number two, Texas A&M. That was a two versus three battle all the way back in 2000. And it was either seven or nine. Um, It's been a really, really long time. Teams do not play Oklahoma at Marita Hines. And I asked Patty Gasso about that. And she was like, frankly, the only reason they were here is because they played OSU because OSU went there last year. And it was spring break, so they could pick up a midweek game. Patty's like, that's not going to change. People won't answer her calls. So to get a game like that was a ton of fun because you had back-to-back home runs from Haley Lee and Tiari Jennings, and you thought, okay, this thing's cooking. And then Florida State responds back, hits a just absolute Jocelyn Allo-style just laser that what I was worried for the tennis players that play at those rec courts behind Marita Hines. So I was like, that thing is coming. Get out of the way. And so – the students were behind. They were behind for just 
half an inning. They respond, get two runs back, win at 5-4. I think the most encouraging thing was Jordy Ball coming in in relief of Alex Duraco, and Jordy Ball looked like the Jordy Ball we saw last year. Uh, struck out all six batters she faced in the fifth and sixth inning, then closed that bad boy out in the seventh. And so, yeah, massive, massive win for Oklahoma. They avoided their first loss at home since February 29th of 2020. People don't want to remember that 2020 season because they fell on their face at the Mary Nutter and lost to a North Texas team where uh, familiar face and Hope Troutwine came in to save that bad boy. But uh, it, it kept the train rolling for Oklahoma. They've got the Hall of Fame Classic this weekend and a couple of games against Weber State, one against Northwestern and two against Auburn. So it should be more nice competition this weekend. I think just the important thing is out of all this, Nicole May, still one of the two pitchers in the country that hasn't given up an earned run. She pitched on Monday night against South Dakota State. Straco looked okay for a little bit, and then Florida State lasered that big home run off of her, and that's when Patty Gasso turned to Jordy Ball. But I, that wasn't a panic moment for me. Straco really had two bad pitches, and Florida State is an elite team, and they punished her on two home runs. You know, the fact that Hope Troutwine was the last pitcher to beat OU at Marita Hunts is just phenomenal. <laughs> um, and then she comes the year, the next year and, of course, wins the World Series. Uh, that's amazing to me. Uh, that twenty, that twenty, uh, twenty twenty, the pandemic team where they scrubbed the season. They were their record was twenty and four, and I thought twenty and four. That what a what a team. I remember interviewing Patty right before, right as the pandemic was starting. It was funny. I interviewed her on a Monday, and I think we had pro day on a Tuesday. And I got home, and pandemic started on a Wednesday or something, something something like that. One of those two days crisscrossed. I was talking to Patty about her team's red hot start at twenty and four. Can you imagine? The last three seasons, including this one, if the team had lost four games by the less than the halfway points of the season. Sky would be falling. Yeah, the sky would be falling and people would be calling for the job, right? I mean, 20 and four was, you're right, Ryan. That was not a good, uh, not a good start to that season. But I think that team would have had um, maybe the potential to catch fire late. Um, well, that was, Juarez got hurt. So that's, that? G. Juarez had gotten hurt. And so, Frankly, Texas was going to win the Big 12 that year. Texas was by far the best-looking team. And it's just really interesting to see that the pandemic season also gives you the extra COVID year, which had allowed Jocelyn Alla to stay an extra year. Grace Lyons, who is expected to return this weekend. She's been out with an illness. She comes back. It's really weird how the pandemic synced up with what would have been a grading on a curve, a quote-unquote down year for OU softball, probably. Just again, I'm just going off kind of the injury situation they were dealing with. So suddenly, on the other side, you have two of the best teams that have ever played the sport. It uh, worked out well for the softball program. Yeah, for sure. And that boy, that home run. You're right. She hit that. That uh, Florida State girl hit that a mile. It was stunned silence. Yeah, it was stunned silence at Rita High because like Oklahoma State had gone up on OU two to nothing in the regular season finale last year. OU doesn't trail at home very often. Oklahoma State last year, very good hitting team. That was like a Jocelyn Allo-esque home run, though, again, last night. And I think people at Rita Hines were sitting there going, there are other hitters in the country that can do that. We've never seen that, not from someone wearing crimson or cream. And it was a very awkward, like, she crosses home plate and has this huge let's go that echoed off of Rita Hines because I think all the fans are sitting there going, are we going to lose this softball game? We, we don't know what to do here. Yeah, I don't lose for 
three full calendar years in that place. That's a long time. Um, don't imagine they'll lose this year. <laughs> that was like their one shot at, at losing. Um, wrapping up with baseball uh, on the way out here. Playing really well. Uh, they won 9 out of 10, swept Houston over the weekend. Thought they might crack the top 25 in one of them. Didn't, but they're really close. They did lose last night to Wichita State in the midweek game. Baseball is not softball. You don't win them all. It's just not, it's not how it works. They were bound to have a night where the offense was a little bit cooled off. Wichita State's a good team. It was on the road. And so they lost last night to the Shockers. But overall, they're playing really, really well. They're hitting very well right now. Easton Carmichael is insane. He's Big 12 Newcomer of the Week. Kid's just a freshman, and he is a baller. Baller. And it's nice for Skip here to finally have a guy. And he's not the only one. There's some other guys on this team too, but to finally have a guy like Easton Carmichael who is raking and he looks great and he's just a freshman. He's not a Juco transfer. He's not going to leave the team after this year. He's around for a while and they're going to build around him. He's going to be a big part of the team for a while, which is exciting if you're an OU baseball fan. So they're playing really well. 11 and 6 is their record right now after starting 2 and 4. So you like that. Big 12 play starts this weekend. TCU yeah, coming crazy. to town. Big series. Looking forward to uh, checking that one out. Should be a fun matchup. Uh, Big 12 play. They have lots of big series coming up the rest of the year. They have Stanford coming to Norman in a little bit. Stanford was number two in the last ranking. They're coming to Norman, so kind of like the Florida State game. Um, They have a whole four-game set in Norman here coming up later this month. I'm really excited for that, Um, as well as uh, Bedlam at the end of the year and things like that. So exciting times for OU baseball, but a good stretch, and they're hitting, pitching pretty well. Lost last night, but again, it's baseball. You lose in baseball. That's just that's how it goes. You don't win every game. That's that's not how it works. Josh, I uh, wanted to ask you about Cale Davis. Um, that's mm-hmm. the, the game that he pitched was the was the game that I monitored uh, first one of that um, Houston series. Had his best game of the year in like his fifth start, fourth start, fifth start, uh, somewhere in there. Six yeah. innings pitch, five hits, one run allowed, struck out five, walked three. Is that progress for him? Is that, you know, again, his best outing, his best start statistically of the season? Uh, is he going to, is that going to be kind of a foothold for him, a toehold that you can kind of climb from there and be, be that ace? 100%. I mean, it, Oklahoma, they're going to be at their best if he is their, yeah, their bona fide number one Friday guy. But what's, what's funny, and it's a good problem to have, is that, Braxton Douthit is breathing down his neck as being the number one guy because he has been tremendous so far, and he was awesome on Saturday, the second game of that series against Houston, absolutely shoved into the seventh inning. So it's a good problem to have. You have two guys who are pushing to be number one right now. But, yeah, Cale Davis and Douthit both doing their thing is is really big time for Oklahoma. they got to figure out that third spot. Will Carson look like the guy early? He's not missed some time. I'm not sure if it's an injury. I'm assuming it is. We haven't seen him in a couple of weeks now. James Hit transfer comes in. He's looked okay in a couple of things. So figuring out that third spot is going to be key. But yeah, Kale Davis and Braxton Douthit both are doing their thing right now, which with the way that they're scoring runs, they're going to be in a great shape to win every series you play, obviously, when you can put out two guys like that, the way they're pitching. So yeah, big, big encouraging signs for Kale Davis uh, being what they need him to be. Just been nice to uh, the offense finally coming online is is the returners from last year finally got that thing going. That felt like kind of the story through the first couple of weekends. It was like all the new faces are hitting and and the guys that you weren't worried about. You're just like, I'm not worried, but 
come on, Kendall Pettis, let's get this let's get this thing moving. And finally it did. And, and now the yeah. offense has looked like we thought it was going to be. Well, too, and you have Wallace Clark has been missing some time. And so they had to slide Anthony McKenzie, who was doing so well at first base. They've moved him to third. And Rocco Garza Gangora has been playing first base. And he started the year kind of uh, lefty, not really doing too much. But he's caught fire the last five, six games or so. He's starting to hit really, really well. So all these young guys for Oklahoma, you know, across the board pretty much have, have stepped up. People are still a little on Bryce Madrin because he doesn't have the big power numbers, but the guy is walking at an ungodly rate. If you remember who last year, Blake Robertson set the single season record for walks. Yep. Bryce Madrin is going to give this dude a run for his money the very next year. He is walking and just in that, and it's not flashy. Nobody gets pumped for walks, but he gets on base. Just an insane clip. So Oklahoma one through nine right now, there's not really any easy outs, which is what you want. Right, obviously. So, a lot to be encouraged by. And we'll see what they do this weekend against TCU. This is their biggest test so far. And I think that if Oklahoma can win this series this weekend, they have a very good chance to be start ranking some polls starting next week, which is exciting. And uh, we'll see what they do the rest of uh, Big 12 play and some big non-conference series. They got Gonzaga in the non-conference, Stanford in the non-conference. So, they have some really high-profile series this year. So, it's going to be fun to see how they do in those as we go on. That Houston game that I covered after it was over, they had four guys in the starting lineup hitting over 400. Right. I mean, that's like softball numbers. Like, that doesn't yeah, make crazy. That's not normal in baseball. Yeah. It's it's now down to two. The two you mentioned, Easton Carmichael and Anthony McKenzie. Uh, Go, uh, Garza Gonzora is at 383, and uh, Dakota Harris is at 370. So they've tapered off a little bit, but that's still. Now, here's the thing those are the only guys hitting over 300 as well. Mm. So, yeah, they got to right. balance that out a little bit. Sure, but then you look at, yeah, I, I'd venture to guess that Madrin, his on-base is very high, and same could probably be said for Nicholas and, and Spiker and some of these other guys too. They're getting on base, they're scoring runs, which is which the name of the game. So I think that's it. Any last things before we sign off into the, the weekend here? There's so much sports nothing. going on, it's uh, hard to got, make sure you got, got it uh, Another 7-on-7 seven seven, uh, up in Broken Arrow this week, so I'll be shooting that. Cool. I'll be bringing you some video and interviews, so keep an eye out for that next week yeah and I, like i said i'll just be hanging around in the photo wells of hall of fame stadium so if you're out there say what's there up we're around there you go big weekend ahead um a lot of sports uh in action we'll have it all covered for you on allcenters.com and of course like we said next week spring football we have made it football is back kinda for a month starting next week and we're gonna have so much from boots on the ground in norman we're going to be living at the stadium again for a while. It's going to feel like the season uh, in, a, in a lot of ways. Yeah. It's going to be fun. Looking forward to that starting next week with Venables and assistants and players and all that. Wrapping up our Transfer Tales series this week as well. we got three more stories to go on the transfers. All the time they gave us during that uh, February media day. We'll be wrapping that up uh, before. Uh, I guess it'll wrap up this weekend. So before spring football practice starts next week. You rode the February media day all the way into spring football, which was the goal. That's right. Got to space it out. Got to space it out. Last year, we got the assistants literally one after another at the podium for like six hours. <laughs> I don't think they're going to do that this time based off the February media day alignment. Uh, so we'll see how that looks. But you you know by now, anybody with us, allsoners.com, we're going to have it all for you. Anything, anybody who speaks, we have it. Open practice, we have some footage, all that. We're all over it. And, uh, of course, lots of stories and content from these guys and uh, Ross as well. Got a lot coming down the pike here. Spring football starting next week. All right, we'll catch you next week. 
I don't know when our next week's show is going to be. We're going to be at the mercy of the spring schedule, but we'll be back next week sometime, Wednesday, Thursday, somewhere in there. Wrapping up the beginning of spring football and all the latest action from the other sports as well. You can catch that show on iTunes, Spotify, Google, iHeart, wherever you get your podcasts. If you have an Amazon able device, just say Alexa, play the All Sooners podcast. It's also posted on our website, allsooners.com. Click on the playlist on your phone, your tablet, or your computer. You can watch all the shows as well on whose YouTube page, John Hoover Media. That's it. For John Hoover and Ryan Chapman, I'm Josh Calloway signing off for now. We'll see you next week.